0: Hi Lauren.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. How are you today? Not bad, thank you. How are you guys?
0: Good, Good, thanks. Good. Uh, So you wrote an article for us a couple of weeks ago about the uh, Conservatives' um, sort of lack of accountability and uh, eagerness to avoid any responsibility when it comes to the, or when it came to the the free school meals um, fiasco that was going on at the time. Can you, first of all, kind of explain uh, what made you want to write the article?
1: Uh, So I was kind of watching it all play out. Obviously, they voted down free school Mills. And the backlash, I think, rightfully, that they were getting, a lot of the Tory MPs responded in a way that really, really got my back up. Um, Mm -hmm. It seemed like a lot of hypocrisy for them to be claiming that they were the real victims in all of this, when actually they've suffered far less than those they just voted not to feed. It really didn't sit right with me obviously like some of them did get abuse, I don't condone for example Maria Caulfield's office getting vandalised mm. um, but there are MPs that get real abuse, Dawn Butler, Diane Abbott Margaret Hodge, Lisa Nandy Baroness Varsie. It's normally misogynistic and racist in nature so for Gary Sandbrook to sit there and say that a bit of graffiti about him eating big dinners is abuse really, I didn't like that okay. <laughs> it mildly um then obviously I'm in Stoke so I saw Stoke North's MP Jonathan Gullis say that the vouchers were being fraudulently used for cigarettes and alcohol um and obviously the tills don't let you do that in supermarkets Mm -hmm. the culmination of these things and I just thought you're just being really dishonest and really sort of um you're taking the wrong route basically
2: I, 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 yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. And I think that those those arguments that, that they were using, it's a really bizarre sort of way to say, right, we're, we're going to decide not to give the overwhelming, let's say that there was the odd, if, if I, I don't think there was, but if there was the odd person that was using these vouchers to buy cigarettes and alcohol, we're not going to give the 99% of families that use these to support and feed their children school mills because there might be a tiny minority of people that are misusing the the system Mm -hmm. but even that isn't a good argument so for them to turn around and say that that was the reason that they'd voted it down was completely ridiculous and and disingenuous and i i I do i do agree that, that there seems to be a theme in all of the government's decisions and we know how these things sort of pan out with this government now of um not backing a policy are they getting majorly pressured to back the policy u-turning or sorry arguing that um they're then the victims because you know they're being bombarded with arguments as to why they're actually the ones that are in the wrong yeah um and then yeah. flipping on on the policy and then not explaining why for so long they didn't mm. change their minds or it took them so long to back the policy in the first place
0: yeah, I mean, Lauren, there was you mentioned in your article the whole um, uh, the sort of Angela Rayner sort of insulting the um, I can't remember who it was in the the House of Commons, and then there was that massive uh sort of pushback from the Conservative Party asking sort of demanding that Labour apologise for that and creating a big, um, uh, a big scene around that sort of saying that that it kind of sh- kind of shadowed. The, uh, or tried to shadow the, um, the actual free school meals fiasco that was going on. Um, do you think, so This in this last weekend, Boris Johnson U-turned on his decision uh, and announced a £170 million package to support vulnerable families through to winter of next year, so 2021, in, and including Christmas as well of that year. Um, are you happy with that decision?
1: Well, of course, if it means kids being fed, Let's look at what got us here. You know, it shouldn't take a Premier League footballer to come out and argue for this to happen. It shouldn't take scores of activists up and down the country, and not even just activists, normal people as well, who normally aren't political. It shouldn't take us all to come out and businesses who haven't got much at the minute as it is because of COVID to feed kids for free for our government to say, right, okay, well, maybe we'll have to do something. Mm -hmm. Joe Gideon, um, who is Stoke Central CLP. central MP sorry sorry. um you know she got fired from her trustee role at the head of a food poverty charity because she voted against free school meals and then when the U-turn happened tweeted to congratulate Marcus Rashford as if she hadn't voted against it they want us to forget that they voted against it but their government got dragged kicking and screaming before they would do anything yeah happy about it but it should not have come to this
2: yeah, sure. No, I, I completely agree. Um, and this is what's been so key is that uh, we were kind of we sort of touched on this when we were having a conversation before we started recording the podcast. There's so much going on, things move so quickly that it's easy to forget these things. And when when there's a new, you know, it's sort of like this new Trumpist reality, there's a new scandal every week, there's a new uh U-turn every other week. It's easy to forget the ones that happened you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, we can't, we can't move past. We can't forget the fact that these things happen. The fact that all the, the Tory MPs are out there on, on the news, you know, congratulating Marcus Rashford for his yeah. amazing work. It's like you're the bloody government. Do You, you do realise the power that you wield. It's not like you have to have your um, domestic policy dictated by by a footballer who seems to be relatively apolitical, Um who has been involved in campaigns in the past, but feels like this is an issue of such importance that he has to get involved um, and campaign on the, on behalf of, of disenfranchised families. It shouldn't take him to have to dictate policy to you. And then for you to be so... Uh, the, the goal that they must have to be able to turn around and, and say, thank you so much, Marcus Rashford, um, for your hard work. It's like, it, it really beggars belief. I, I, yeah. I don't that see was
1: something in my article, sorry. That was something in my article, like you've just said about them having the power they are, you know, the legislators. Got an 80 seat majority.
2: Yeah.
1: Majority yeah. of the country has some right wing views on various issues, not maybe not on all issues, but the country is right wing in some aspects. Tory MPs to sit there and play the victim as like they're some censored victim of oppression actually doesn't sit right with me either because they have got all of the power in this situation
2: yeah yeah
1: you know it's wrong do you
2: do you think that the the opposition's response to this was sufficient in like holding them to account for the the lack of decision making or do you think that that maybe more pressure could have been applied by the Labour Party as well because obviously there was loads of pressure from outside of Westminster but do you think that Labour could have done more, or do you think they, they could be doing more to be holding the, the government to account, or do you think it's been sufficient so far?
1: I think we could always do more. I think there's always more we could do. What that is, I'm not sure. Um, I think Starmer played it quite well because of the momentum, pardon the pun, that was like building up behind Marcus Rashford. If he'd come in really strongly and sort of said it was all Labour's doing, I think he would have got a lot of backlash for that because I think Rashford galvanised yeah, a lot yeah. of major political people. Um, So I I think it made sense that he allowed Rashford and his campaign to sort of take most of the plaudits, I suppose. Yeah. Um, But I do think Starmer could be stronger. I think the party could be stronger. There's always room for improvement.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that I've... Sorry, Brett. One of the things that I've sort of noticed over the past sort of, I don't know, couple months especially, is the... The sort of appro- the the approach that they've taken, where they've sat back and put the government in the spotlight and wanted them to take the brunt and allowed the public to to really see the ineptitudes of the government, is great. What I would like to start to see is some kind of alternative being laid out. So, like you know, a proper a proper alternative, a policy based alternative being laid out, and that's probably one thing that we haven't seen so much so far because I don't think it's the strategic route that they want to go down. You know. What would Labour be doing? And to be fair, we saw it with the the call for a, a circuit breaker lockdown, but in other areas as well, I'd like to see more of a, a policy based approach. If there was a Labour government, this is what we would be doing in a more, you know, detailed manner.
0: Hmm. To go back to what you were saying earlier, Jack, uh, what do you guys think was the reasoning behind the timing of this U-turn? Because it took what weeks of of pressure from uh, charities, influential figures, the opposition, their own some of their own MPs. Businesses nationwide to finally make the U-turn. Um, do you think there's any? It's got anything to do with the fact that they um, were maybe facing a bit of backlash after the lockdown at all, or uh, they were trying to maybe seem a bit. Or <laughs> I don't want to say that they waited that long only for that reason and caused so many families distress for that sole reason because that's I don't think that's the case. But do you think there's any? Uh, any substance behind that
1: i think they knew that their time was up they had to do something but i think they waited just that little bit longer so that the presidential election yeah. results overshadowed it because they released yeah. it like midnight didn't they
2: yeah Like before
1: yeah. um the cynic in me when it's the uh, Tories, I'm, I'm always cynical when it's the Tories, <laughs> but what i think anyway i think they did wait a little bit longer
2: I, I think it, it, it's the timing's probably a bit too on point for that not to have been somewhere in their thinking. You know, everyone's eyes are away from the domestic affairs in the UK and we'll just slide this through. Um, they're not going to get pats on the back for it. I mean, you, you know, you have to say we're happy that it's happened now. Obviously, it's a good thing that they've passed the legislation, but the criticism will still be and, it, and still is the fact that it took so long. Um, and uh, it, you know I, I have probably haven't delved into the details of the announcement enough to make this assertion, but I, the, there will always be the 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 question of is this enough um, to be dealing with the the situation? you know, yes, we need to be providing these um, this, this aid, this support for people, especially through the pandemic. but what we really need to be doing is putting in place policy that's going to um, stop families from being in the the this position in the first place. You know we need to be dealing with a lot of the um issues that mean that families aren't earning enough money, they aren't bringing in enough income to be able to feed their kids. Some of the most basic things as a society we should be working towards. Um, so they don't want the spotlight on them in, in, in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would agree. You know, the cynic in me it instantly goes, <laughs> Big, uh, you know, big uh, election across the pond. Of course, they snuck it through. Uh, yeah. You know, the, A a, a convenient, a convenient time. So, yeah, I'd agree. Um, I'd love to get
0: a, the point of view of a conservative supporter for this following question because, um, but my the question is, is the conservative government out of touch with the people? Because, the last two weeks alone have seen three government u-turns if you're including the extension of the furlough scheme, a second national lockdown, and now this U-turn on the um, free school meals. How can you make so many, uh, so many U-turns on such important um, uh, crises um, in, in a time like this and, and have so many people from, uh, who voted for you or on your side, on your benches, um, be against that?
1: it seems like a really high risk strategy really i don't understand they're expending goodwill that people might have with them like there's there doesn't seem to be any tangible benefit to withholding free school meal vouchers that yeah. i don't understand the longer strategy there it's not to save money because they're spending it elsewhere and completely i'm not going to use the word spaffing it up the wall but they are <laughs> they are doing it elsewhere so that makes no sense. I don't understand from a strategic point of view or mm. what Cummings is thinking. I
0: yeah, don't, don't I would. Get it. I would also add that now they've uh, this what they announced on Saturday is an extension to this these free school meals uh, this free school meals scheme until next Christmas, twenty twenty one. That that's so that's not that's it's clearly that they didn't they, it wasn't that they weren't able to.
2: No, and uh, there were a lot of um, uh, MPs that. or or sort of conservative commentators that were arguing for the extension of the free school meal, um, scheme saying that this needs to be in place only as long as the pandemic is in place. You know, if there needs to be, um, which I I wouldn't agree with. I think that if the need is there, the need is there. It's not just down to when the pandemic's on, but, um, they were saying, you know, whilst COVID is, is happening, and whilst these hardships are are continued, um, that it needs to remain in place. So you know, it wasn't all MPs that, or it wasn't all conservative no. commentators, or it wasn't all conservatives that that were you know sort of uh, not in favour of this. But I I think a couple of things we maybe need to separate the coronavirus u-turns from the other policy u-turns. In so far as I think, if I was to put myself in the position of a conservative, uh, I would say. I'm just trying to think of, you know, maybe how a conservative would respond. But sure. the coronavirus throws up a lot of, you know, new things. Everyone's dealing with it, you know, this this new crisis. At the same time, they're mm-hmm. going to make mistakes. The problem that I've said uh, with the governments, the governance from the start has been the fact that they were so. Uh, they had this willingness not to say we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have to change our minds So bear with us. You know we're going to do the best that we can. They w- they stood by every single decision. Yeah. And even when they had to change, it had to change their mind. There was no s- suggesting. You know we're all human. We all make mistakes. That they just sort of lied about it or said that they weren't going to change their minds. But they did, and it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. I also think or that
0: congratulated Marcus Rashford.
2: <laughs> yeah, or congratulated Marcus Marcus Rashford. But I also think that um, much like. Uh, Donald Trump, in so many ways, Boris Johnson liked the idea of being prime minister, liked the power that came with being prime minister, but is shit at the decision-making aspect that comes with being prime minister, and is terrible at the the he's not good at the having to make difficult decisions. They are desperate to be liked by people, hence this floating policies in the press, leaking policies to the press, and then seeing what the um seeing what the backlash is to them. Or focus grouping policies to uh, you know small focus groups and then deciding what they're going to do based on the outcomes of those focus groups. That you have to stand for something as a party. You have to believe in something. You have to make decisions and then either stand by those decisions or say no. You know we we messed up and that is not what they've done consistently. Um. So to answer your question, yeah, I think they are out of touch with with the nation. The the uh, general election was predominantly fought on. Uh, on both Brexit and people not wanting the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn in power, um, and I don't know if if uh, the Conservatives' po- policies outside of that really resonated with um, with people. And I don't think they know what they believe with a lot of this, a lot of this stuff. Um, they've got a massive majority, like Lauren said, so a lot of the decisions that they make um, are going to be supported and they're going to pass. Uh, and they probably think we've got a lot of time until the next election. We'll just figure out our smears and our campaign slogan then and then fight that election, you know, and try and deflect away from the ineptitudes of how we've governed over the past four years. Um,
0: yeah. <clears throat> Any further points on that, Lauren?
1: I think you summed it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to completely... Um I also wonder at the next election whether Boris Johnson will ever will even be mm. leader at that mm. stage. I don't think he will be. That's
2: a really good point. And, and it's something that,
1: is uh, creeping up, isn't it? But yeah, so,
2: something that he's started to do is distance himself with some of this decision making and being in constant communication with backbenchers over uh sort of behind the scenes apparently. Rishunac like this is. Yeah, yeah, Rishi Sunak, you know, saying I'm not so in uh, tow with the government on this one. And he's been a a wild card, right? We've said from the start, you know, I remember, I think it was in our podcast with Jaya that we were saying the only person that really has raised their profile. And I think there's a lot to criticise Rishi Sunak on, but the only person that's raised their profile and even, you know, looked somewhat positive in the public eye in the Conservative Party throughout this crisis has been Rishi Sunak. And um, they put him in place, let's not forget, he was chosen because they thought that he would be easy to control and that he'd just toe the line on on policies. And it's turned out to be completely the opposite. Mm. Um, Not even in touch with their own MPs, let
1: alone No, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's not forget that whilst a lot of people have been talking about how divided the Labour Party is, there is still massive divisions within the Conservative Party. Um, They've not gone away over all sorts of issues, whether it be... Um, domestic policy, the current uh, leadership, um, Brexit, the handling of the coronavirus, now with these lockdowns, there's a lot of division within the Tory party, and I think we're going to start seeing that come to um, fruition before the next election. And Lauren, I think you're you're totally right. I think I'd be so su- I would also be surprised if Boris Johnson was still leader by then. Mm.
1: That dangerous for Labour. Rishi Sunak becomes Tory leader.
2: I think it's it's more worrying for them than if Boris Johnson was the leader yeah mm-hmm. and you know we've seen in a lot of their uh sort of attack ads and a lot of their speeches Rishi Sunak is mentioned alongside Boris Johnson or he's even you know the focus and you know he's chancellor so it's somewhat to be expected but um they they mm-hmm. they're, they are starting to focus a lot on him as well so I think they're aware that there's a, a high likelihood that he could be leader in the next um in the next election and they that you know they'll want to find things uh, lauren what did you think of the um advert they put out the other day on on rishi sunak and him being a man of wealth and all this stuff what did you did you say that it, what did you think the of that attack
1: ad? was it yeah, the attack ad? yeah, yeah oh yeah. i thought it was horrendous <laughs> yeah, <laughs> From a cop- I, agree. <laughs> I was just thinking why would you portray this man as james bond esque yeah. when you're trying to attack him it actually looking at the types of people that vote conservative the middle class aspirational people they're not going to see having a nice car a nice house a high-paying job as a negative that's something to aspire to for people yeah. like that so it's not going to land like they want it to i just thought it was absolutely horrific
2: did you see it bro i didn't know no, it I was didn't. weird it was really. weird we have to look this yeah. up yeah it was like um, it, yeah, showing him in this lavish house and like on a boat and in this car, and <laughs> it was like, look at all the work, but, look how successful he's been. Uh, <laughs> and it was like, was no, this directly yeah, from yeah, the Labour so Party? The, yeah, I think it was right.
1: I, I think it was like some like external group that
2: was uh, headed
1: okay. up by like a former special advisor to the Labour Party, right, yeah. so it's it was got just, that link.
2: It was poor. It was poorly. Uh, yeah. They they it was, they were off message completely there. I think. <laughs> um you know it sounds
0: really i don't care
2: i also don't care about that i don't don't, really don't give a shit how much money he's made as long as he's made it in a uh you know legal and not morally repugnant way um fair enough if he's successful i don't really care about that i care about what he stands for Mm -hmm. the kind of policies that he's putting in place um and what he's going to do for the country like we're currently going into possibly one of the worst um recessions or you know financial crises in recent history how is he going to deal with that what mitigations is he putting in place to ensure that um working people aren't shafted like they were in 2008 that's what i care about you know focus it focus in on the amount of jobs that people have lost throughout the pandemic the fact that people can't feed their kids um focus in on that stuff you know don't mm-hmm. attack him because he's been wealthy or
1: he hasn't got an economic plan he's got a pr plan but he yeah, hasn't exactly. got any yeah. form of strategy and it's like it's really painful to look at the graphics he puts out as well with his little like signature at the bottom yeah, i
2: know right like,
1: who do you think you are
2: yeah yeah that stuff does come across as really oh, excuse me really pretentious i think mm. um and you know like the extension of the furlough scheme again came too late tens of thousands of people yeah. lost their jobs in the time that he didn't extend it um Attack him for that stuff, because that's really what what impacts people.
0: And people were talking about extending the FOLO scheme back in July, August time. Yeah. Like, that was ages ago, and they only did it on the eve of it ending.
2: Yeah, we spoke about it constantly, about being proactive in your policy uh, formulation and not reactive, Mm -hmm. you know, we know that this is going to be the case, that jobs, people, you know, lots of um, workplaces aren't going to be able to go back as soon as lockdown was ended. Um, you know, we've all got experience of, of, of that workplaces that weren't able to, to extend people, whether it be in the arts or in certain retail sectors or, um, you know, lots of sectors that have been massively impacted and they didn't plan enough, did they? That, you know, lots right. of people lost their jobs and so attack him on that stuff. Yeah. You know, the fact that he's shit at his job, not the fact that he's got lots of money <laughs> or a nice car. Cause that's quite cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I'm going to change the subject slightly, if that's okay. Um, Lauren, as someone who's you've studied criminology and criminal justice to a, a master's level, right? Yeah. I think I saw it on your Twitter profile. <laughs> um, are you <laughs> are you worried at all about the effect that corona, coronavirus is having on the um, the criminal justice system? For
1: Just, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, like absolutely. Uh, but I think it's really crucial to point out that the justice system hasn't been in crisis just since the pandemic began, Mm -hmm. since 2010. Justice budget's been cut by over 25%. -hmm. This isn't new, it's exacerbated it, it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's not um, it's a wider thing. So, you know, criminal cases, backlogging, uh, there's about half a million cases awaiting court, something like 40,000 for the most serious types of crime. Uh, conviction rates are con- uh, can talk. Conviction rates are dropping. Got there in the end. <laughs> Legal ladies on its knees. Prisons are absolute shambles. It, it's one thing after another, but it's all things that had they been fixed and properly sorted out before the pandemic,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. would
1: have got to this level.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah,
0: I was really um...
1: concerned. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was reading. I yeah. Think- I mean, sorry, I was, I was reading a, an article in The Guardian, I think it was, about how, um, no, actually it was the BBC, just about how um, the number of cases is, has been dramatically increasing for, for years, but that they're predicting that by 2024 there could be a backlog of like 200,000 cases. Uh, right now it's at something like 40,000, I think it said. Um, and they're just talking about how, that because of all these cases backlogging, it could end up completely overwhelming the system um, and already there are gaps of up to four years between an alleged offence and a trial um, but I've, I'm not hearing anything about it I'm not hearing anybody really talk about it um, it seems to be being kept quite, you know, hush hush um, do you think it, it deserves more attention?
1: Well, I mean, I would say that because yeah. I'm biased but yeah, I think I But
0: think you also know more about is... it than we do, so I assume Yeah,
1: Yeah, possibly, yeah um, it, It's the thing is It's the same thing that happens anytime there's any discussion of the justice system and you even mildly mention doing something that might benefit offenders people put their fingers in their ears and say they're not deserving of help Mm -hmm. and reforming the justice system is one of those things because people think well we've got a pandemic why would we spend money looking after offenders they're scum so but it's not just people don't see that there's victims involved in this as well there are two sides to it so the average rape case at the minute takes about 150 days from start to finish to get a conclusion That yeah. doesn't even guarantee a conviction. Yeah. That's a really long time for you know, victims to have that hanging over them. Mm-hmm. It's little things like that, but people just tend to switch off when they hear justice system because it's oh prisoners, whatever, just stick them in jail and leave them in there. Yeah. So it's a really difficult conversation to have to actually make people empathize and realize they aren't just some subhuman category. They are people that need support mm-hmm. in a lot of cases.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Jack, you got any how much, about? yeah, I mean if, you know, just coming back to the the justice system quickly, I think that it's been um something that we've seen throughout the the pandemic in that there's lots of of um unforeseen impacts of of the coronavirus. you know, it hasn't just been the obvious public health and economic impacts. there's been lots and lots of of impacts that that we haven't been able to to focus in on, and that probably won't be focused on for a really long time. And one of the things that I, I think needs to come out of an inquiry when there hopefully is one is a focusing on what could have been done or you know what needs to have been done to a ensure that these institutions um, that are incredibly important to the functioning of the country are strong enough to withstand um, a pandemic if it happens again, um, but also what could have been done during the pandemic to ensure that there was enough support that went to, to these areas. Um, and as Lauren, as you pointed out, if th- there's enough support for these areas in the first place, um, they're, they're able to uh, you know, sustain themselves throughout something like this a, a lot better. And the, the health service is the biggest um, example of that. Every single Christmas, we have the conversation of the NHS being underfunded and uh, funds not being managed well enough. Um, and every single year we don't do enough to be able to support it without a pandemic. Now we've had it. Um you know far more emphasis needs to be put on ensuring that our elected officials are actually doing enough to to govern properly um so and then you know coming to the the uh rape conviction um example and this isn't an area that I know uh anywhere near enough about particularly um but it it seems like there's uh sort of like like you say, lauren, it's difficult to have these a lot of these conversations um because I think tensions get get inflamed a lot and you know rightly so when there's victims who aren't getting justice that's a massive a massive issue and we need to look at why that's happening and you know almost five months to get a referral um to a a judgment is is nowhere near good enough and we're systemically failing those that have been uh subject to really awful um awful crimes and uh it seems like we're just going backwards um as i was reading in, in, in as far as the the uh, rape conviction um, issue that there's the the problem that has stemmed from this is that the police are now not referring cases where um, there's not a large amount of corroborating evidence or where consent is disputed mm-hmm. because they they want to see conviction like levels go up and the percentage of convictions be higher, and therefore they're not referring cases that are hotly contested. Which seems like the justice system is then obviously failing because, you know, um, people aren't having their case heard. It just seems like it's completely broken to me.
1: That's the problem as well. Like by doing things like that, it's self-defeating because although at the minute there are actually more people coming forward, but fewer convictions happening, once you start eroding confidence in the justice system by you know, causing victims to feel unsupported so they drop out before it goes to trial or not taking them forward to begin with, people won't come forward. Mm. And that's a problem that we've got to deal with. Um, And thinking back to your question, sorry, very quickly about how COVID has kind of affected the justice system and how people aren't talking about it enough. I think they should be because it's actually everyone's civil liberties and that's the problem. We saw, I think it was Robert Buckland, is it? the Tory was talking about how we should have trials without juries in them so that people could socially distance now a jury at a trial in my opinion is like the cornerstone of our justice system people's right to be heard by a jury um and things like as well
2: sorry sorry I was gonna um, say here's the justice secretary that is the justice secretary of our country saying that we shouldn't have juries
1: yeah because Um, it's inconvenient because of covid that's Um, insane it's absolutely ridiculous surely there are ways around
0: that surely there's a way to socially distance them or to uh, have them in virtually or something or have them in a different room with a camera on them
1: yeah (laughs) i wanted to reduce it to like seven um which i mean is better than nothing but it's not the full amount sure um you could have them yeah you could have them in another room you could video link them in you could space them out Mm -hmm. but it's also kind of worrying as well i do want to raise this um police obviously are having to deal with lockdown enforcements um and that is impacting their ability to deal with other forms of crime for example domestic abuse however also know that the police might be overreacting slightly and over criminalizing groups that can't follow government guidance for example people that live in poor quality housing or in abusive families who might therefore be in public more often Mm. um and also people have complained that the police are over-monitoring minority communities during this pandemic. Um, and that is a real issue as well, because we know that tensions are rising between yeah. the police. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there's lots of little things that kind of wouldn't, I don't want to say wouldn't be there normally, but it kind of exacerbates. So people really should care because it is their rights and their civil liberties and their freedoms Absolutely. at risk. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah i
0: was um trying to think about whether you know whether this government would take uh, these kind of calls for help from the justice system uh seriously but then quickly remembered the comments that were made recently by Priti patel and boris johnson about lawyers um and i was wondering if you guys think that that would have any effect on this government taking it seriously at all you've got a home
1: secretary that believes in the death penalty so to be honest, I, I do take think all of her that she, views.
0: I think that she's updated that in recent years to say that she doesn't. She does. She no longer believes in in the death
2: penalty. Just to. Yeah,
1: I, I don't think. believe her.
2: <laughs> at, very, at very best, she's only recently changed her stance on on sure. the death penalty. So I mean. Uh, I mean, yeah.
1: Either way, like the fact yeah. she said it to begin with, it uh-huh. makes me think kind Of what was going through her head to
2: say sure, something and, like that, you know, yeah, we're we're we, it's good that people can change their, their views on on issues and they should be able to. When she was asked about her view on that, it seemed that she had kind of been told that she shouldn't have a, that the view that she did have on it and that she was a bit uh unambiguous about her reasons for changing her mind. Um, criminal justice reform is a policy area that needs. Really uh detailed and focused um work, and I can't see not only this government, but uh, I would like to think a Labour government would would focus in on it. I struggle to see any government with the amount of issues that we have to deal with, the amount of huge issues that we have to deal with, even taking coronavirus out of it, putting criminal justice reform to the front of the or to the top of the pile and saying, this is something that we're going to deal with. Um, unfortunately, I just, I, I can't, I can't see that happening, which is a shame because obviously the justice system is failing. Um, yeah. Also, a lot it's, of, it's a, a pillar lot of, of our society. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah One absolutely. of the problems
1: for Labour at the minute though, I think, and this is probably, it might be unkind. I don't mean to be unkind, but it's just from a purely comms kind of perspective is Nick Thomas Simmons, our shadow home secretary, I don't feel like he's got any form of presence. I know, obviously, we've got David Lammy as Shadow Justice, which is fantastic. But our Shadow Home Secretary, I don't feel like anyone knows who he is. It's like, we really need someone there fighting these battles against really punitive measures that Pretty Patel wants to bring in about immigration and policing and stop and search. Where is Labour, really? We're not really on the field of play at the minute.
2: Yeah, and again it comes back, back to my, my criticism of this. Uh I, I believe um you always need to be on the offensive, you know, that you need to be aggressive in your uh arguing for your side of, of the the argument, you know. And it doesn't seem like they they have been. I watched Nick Thomas Simmons on Question Time um just after the election, uh and it was just after the um EHRC report came out and he was incredibly uh mousy you know it wasn't really bullish in his uh defenses and you know the labor party was eating a lot of humble pie that day and rightly so um but i wanted to see him come out and really say we're going to take this issue and we're going to deal with it once and for all and we're going to stamp out anti-semitism from the labor party and um we're going to ensure that you know everyone from all communities particularly disaffected communities feel comfortable within the labor party and he didn't do that he wasn't strong enough on on those issues and then when asked to comment on uh the the so, the conservative gentleman that was um on that evening who was uh, talking nonsense for a lot of um a lot of the evening he he didn't take those opportunities and like you say i think that um there needs to be pushback against these ideas because yes the these you know, pretty government with a massive majority, but that doesn't mean that part of our democracy is that we have an effective opposition. And sitting back and just hoping that people disagree with her isn't isn't good enough. You have to offer up an alternative. You have to argue argue back. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think you're totally right. You know, I I, I don't see enough strong members of of the Labour Party out on media, doing the rounds, talking about Labour ideas, Labour principles, why they're better, why they'd be better for the country. Um, I would have, just, have
1: given it to Lammy I would have given Shadow Home Secretary to Lammy and given I, I, think yeah,
2: yeah, I, I think that would have been a good appointment Yeah, I think that would have been a good appointment I just wanted to come back to the lockdown comment that you made quickly and, and ask you uh, both of whether you what you feel about those um, the policing of the lockdown restrictions at the moment, do you see that as being proportionate to the issue, like it comes back to the jury point that you made, like with the right precautions, you can have a jury Socially distance, make people wear masks, mm-hmm. sanitize, testing. You can have a jury, you know. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, I, I haven't really seen much policing of it, and I, I live in the centre of Ealing, so I, I, and I've seen, I've still seen quite a few people out and about. Um, on Saturday, I went out, and it was packed out there, despite shops not being open. So I don't really know, you know, how much. Uh, the police are p- policing it. You know, I actually, completely off topic, but I found out today that estate agents are still allowed to hold viewings
2: at the moment. It's another one of these bizarre loopholes in the, the yeah. regulations. Yeah. yeah, Not sure how, well, I suppose, how it makes you know, sense. But... People have got to move house, right? People have got to look for places to live, but at the same time... I
1: guess if you're there's... buying, it's a big investment not to have yeah, seen the sure. place, I guess. Renting is probably a little bit
0: different, but... Mm-hmm.
2: But does, yeah, and, and but does that make sense when there's lots of other stuff that you can't do? I mm-hmm. mean, probably you know. Probably, yeah, and probably uh, also
0: spec- you know, the, what was it? Tier two restrictions were saying that people couldn't uh, meet indoors from different households. But if yeah. you have a viewing, you've got at least what three groups of people there from different households mingling. Made a slightly yeah.
1: unwise decision about two months ago to move, so I was in Devon oh, and really? I moved to Stoke. So I was in. I got here, and about a month later, we were in tier two, So just about escaped it. But it's yeah, I don't know why anyone would move in the middle of a really bad lockdown. I don't understand why anyone would do that. It's so stressful. Uh, yeah.
2: Unless you're unless you're forced into unless yeah. you're forced into it. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which I mean, there should be regulations put in place to ensure that people are forced to move house during a pandemic. You know, labour sure. uh, should so. be at
1: the forefront of pushing those, but we're yeah. not, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, I I think it comes back to some of the people's you know um, gripes with how this the, the party has dealt with um, or, or got about their opposition thus far, um, and there, there's genuine you know those are genuine genuine concerns. I understand there's a long time until the next general election, but your job isn't just to um, you know come into play when there's a, an election to win. You have to be constantly holding the the government to account, don't you? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm just going to shine a spotlight back on the rape convictions thing because it, it was one of my current events topics, so we kind of already covered it a little bit. But um, I've got some statistics I thought I'd mention just because I think they're pretty um, harrowing, I suppose. Um, this year, police recorded 55,000 rapes, um, but there were only 2,000 prosecutions um, and 1,400 convictions in England and Wales. This is between 2019 and 2020. Um, and that's, I think, uh, that it's the n- number of recorded rapes rapes has has increased over the last few years, and the number of convictions and prosecutions has decreased. So yeah. there is clearly an issue there, and it's like Lauren was saying earlier, it's discouraging for victims because they it makes them less likely to want to come forward. I would imagine if they're seeing that all this hassle and and work to try and get their cases heard. Eventually won't lead to any form of justice necessarily. Um, I also saw um, the article I was reading was mentioning how police are now um, starting to uh, s- specifically pick certain cases as being more important than others because they they see them as being easier to convict. So, or the certain cases are being prioritized because they're easy to convict and not. Depending on whether it's true or not, um, just to try and increase the conviction rate.
2: Yeah. It's.
0: I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's pretty horrible to think about that. To think about all these victims yeah, that uh, are so having cool. to go through all this and and aren't aren't are going yeah. through the uh, get being brave enough to come forward and talk about mm. these rape. Um, yeah. To bring forward these these uh, rape allegations, but. Uh, not seeing any kind of justice. I think
1: it's good. Yeah. it's what tends to happen when you've got such a high degree of managerialism in the mm-hmm. justice system. So police are going by statistics. They are governed by statistics. They need to hit certain targets. They need to perform to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's completely abhorrent. And it's mm-hmm. can't imagine what it would be like for someone to have to wait nearly 150 cool. days. Yeah. May not even get an outcome. Mm-hmm. Like it's beyond anything, kind of that should be happening. I have no words, really. <laughs> I'm just no, like, me I'm, the whole yeah. thing is it, it's hard to articulate just how angry it makes me. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like it's awful. It's absolutely awful, and it's you know uh, notoriously one of the hardest um, crimes to 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 you know prosecute, prove and, yeah. and prosecute. Mm-hmm. Doesn't excuse those figures though, they're absolutely abhorrent. I, and it, I, you know, don't have much more to, to say apart sure. from the fact that it, it to, that it needs to improve. And I cannot imagine what it must be like to go through um, a, a, a rape, as you say, find, you know, have the courage to, to report that and then not uh, have the, the justice system, you know, give you your fair your fair dues and mm-hmm. not have the support that you need to get through that. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah.
0: yeah. I just wanted to bring it back up again to, to,
2: yeah, of course. A, yeah. No, it's really um, important. And it's important that something gets done, you know, yeah. enough light needs Absolutely. to be shed on the, the issue that mm-hmm. it gets, it gets tackled.
0: Yeah. They, the um, CPS, so the Crown Prosecution Service has outlined a five-year blueprint to tackle the issue. Mm. Um, and it involves an action plan to work more closely with police um, and a and pre-trial therapy guidance uh, to support victims and their families so oh. at least some action is is uh is happening in that respect so they are aware of the issue and it's not like they're just completely ignoring it but um i guess we'll see if if uh if the action that they're suggesting helps in any way
2: yeah i saw somebody say sorry i saw somebody say that um it, it sort of came across as like a, a green light to Mm. Um, people that wanted to, you know, go out and rape. That it, yeah. it, the likelihood of you being charged is minuscule. You yeah. know, it's really unlikely that you're going to be charged. And it, it does. It in, in many ways, it, it sort of comes across like that, doesn't it? If I, I, I know that you know, there needs to be penalties for crimes, and there needs to be your punishments need to fit crimes, but there also needs to be the acknowledgement that if you commit a crime, then your the likelihood is that you're going to be punished for it and if it, that doesn't seem to be the case then it does seem in, in many ways I don't know that, that it's it, it comes across in, in that way you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Talking about the types of kind of rape that are going to get chosen I suppose by the CPS mm. to go forward and police it's it's almost as though it'll probably be the only the most kind of uh, violent, all oh, rape is violent but the most kind of uh, you know walking stereotypical walking down an alleyway and get in attacked rather than people that get raped by their boyfriend or their husband or their you know or their wife Uh, because it happens to men too and i think that's another area that doesn't get spoken about abuse to men and rape against men um probably won't make me popular in some circles to say that because there's always a sort of you know i think it does need to be emphasized because there's a real hidden figure of crime there sorry i'm getting my criminology jargon out of the way (laughs) but um yeah, no. I think you know there needs to be more done, and
2: for yeah. Yeah, there to
1: be so much selectivity against ones go forward, it's really it doesn't sit well with me at all.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I think yeah, another area uh, and that, that's important in this is is ensuring that there's enough education around the issue, making sure people know about those figures, but also educated on things like consent. Not all rapes are the what the thing that you you know maybe people think about when that's all it gets brought up but you know dark alleyway um it, it these kind that rape happens in in many different ways and we need to be having conversations informed conversations and sensible conversations and apolitical conversations about consent and about what rape is um absolutely and, you know having sensible conversations around sex and um in, in so many ways whether it be rape or sexual assault or harassment um, that we need to take more responsibility as a society to want to, to deal with these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Once again, so.
0: education is <laughs> topic of the day. Always, always. Um, at my next current event's topic is um, about, the, the headline is, Scotland becomes first country in the UK to make smacking children illegal. Um, I got to admit that like, I didn't realise it was um, legal still in yeah. the UK generally. Um, apparently it's permitted in the rest of the UK If it's seen as reasonable punishment Which does not justify wounding or grievous bodily harm So if there's no sign of violence I guess that means, like, on the, person, on the child's body after the smacking I guess that means it's okay um, yep. Apparently this change in law gives children the same protection against assault as adults do you both agree with it being made illegal?
2: Uh, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I just think it's like I'm I'm not a parent myself, so I'll probably annoy people because I haven't got kids. But I just think it's like such a lazy way of parenting. Like the minute you have to raise your hand to your child. Yeah. It's- I'm sure it can be resolved through words or telling off. I was, you know, my, my dad used to just have to shout at me and I was like, okay, I won't do it again. Same here, um, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not saying like, make your kids scared of you through shouting at them as well, but like, you know, smacking your child, they are more vulnerable. They are smaller. Or a grown adult the fact that you need to raise your hand to them doesn't say a lot about you that's good
2: mm-hmm. how bizarre is it that we even have to sit and like you know obviously we should have conversations about all sorts of things right and no conversations should be off topic but we have to sit here and justify the fact that you shouldn't be able to physically harm your child is like you shouldn't be able to physically harm your child is so bizarre mm. and I was doing a bit of reading around this and I, I think it's going to be one of those issues again where you know the, our, our kids generation if you know if we have kids our kids generation will look back at this and go people parents hit their kids and like, i'm sure it'll always occur but it was not only that but it was legal for parents to hit their kids mm-hmm. as long as as long as they weren't bruised or as long as they weren't cut you know if you give them a little smack it's okay <laughs> yeah. it's just to make th- make sure that they they understand you know where their place is just absolutely incredible that, uh, that this is a debate that we're having and as you say it's still legal in the uk under the Children's Act 2004, so again, the policy or the law was introduced in, or the Act was introduced in 2004, clearly needs updating. There is an organisation in Scotland that is running a campaign called Stop the Smacking Ban <sighs> and the organisation is called Be Reasonable Scotland. How oh, I saw that. <laughs> it, 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 I find it's, it, it just boggles my mind. These organisations, it or it these as, groups...
0: I read it as Be Reasonable Scotland. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these these groups that always have like some sort of really nonsensical ideas are always called things like be reasonable or reasoned or yeah. you know they mm-hmm. always have these names as if they're the ones that clearly are on the right side they're the ones that are preaching the sensible yeah the sensible
0: it's unreasonable ideas. not to smack your child
2: yeah one <laughs> of the the examples and on their website they have these different examples as to why um or, or arguments a- against the the smacking ban um and one of the the ones they put up they've got it in quotations as if like one of us is making an argument as to why smacking should be banned it says children should have the same protection as adults right mm-hmm. and they're arguing against this they're saying because children are not adults the law treats children differently in many different ways in order to protect them children are not allowed to drive marry or own firearms licenses (laughs) nobody claims this is unfair or unequal it would be just as inappropriate to apply this argument to smacking somebody sat down and wrote that out and thought it was a logical argument i mean all those things are things
0: where the child could potentially harm someone else smacking a child does not involve the child hurting someone else no no it's bizarre
1: if i had if i had a kid with my boyfriend right Violence. If I was to then be the exact same thing to a miniature human being who is like (laughs) a third of my size and vulnerable, that's fine. Just back on. No. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Just so bizarre. So bizarre. I am interested
0: though, because I do think there are people out there who would say that um, that like a smack on the wrist is justified, or that it worked on them as a child. And I don't really know what to say to that. I suppose. (laughs)
2: I think there are certain um, things that I mean. You'll, you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, the government should be shouldn't be telling us how to raise our kids. Mm. I agree to an extent, right? Physical harm in in any way is something that we should say we don't condone that mm-hmm. um, as, mm-hmm. as as a society. And and it, whether you're whether it's a it's full blown GBH or whether it's it's a, a tap on the wrist or a, a slap on the wrist. When you have a law that says you're allowed to smack children, whether it's a, a tap on the wrist or or a belt on the bum or whatever, mm. they're all encompassed in that law, yep. aren't they? So you yep. you have to draw the line. You have to draw the line somewhere. Sure. You know, you have to say what what do we as a state say is not acceptable for mm-hmm. us? And to me, any form of physical abuse is too far. You know, and there are other, of course there are other forms of of abuse um and it's not just about the argument of course it's you know you should be able to discipline your child without harming them it's not teaching them the right lessons about about life um but also you know there are certain things that we have to say just isn't okay um and i, I think that i i do, i agree with the scottish government in that that physical harm is is one of those
0: if if there was a situation where a uh a dad say was trying to get his son to obey him or in, in obey him maybe a strong word but <laughs> it down like a high street like the child was was uh, running off and and playing up and the dad was like quick slap on the wrist and he was seen by a policeman to to do that, to be doing that what kind of punishment then should be is justified what kind of punishment should, That's the, question, should the dad face yeah
2: and it needs to be proportionate, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying lock people up for 20 years for tapping your son on the wrist, yeah. but um, I'd, I mean, it's, I'd like to see what the punishment in, that was introduced in, in yeah, Scotland Yeah, Yeah, maybe I should have looked that up. <laughs> I think, you know, like, uh, Lauren, maybe you've got a better idea um, than that. I don't think a prison sentence for that kind of thing I... is anywhere near necessary, but you know.
1: and I, I agree, yeah, like there's got to be kind of proportionality there yeah. uh, like the example that you just said would in my mind again, it's it's difficult because if that kid was putting itself in danger I think you'd be more inclined to kind of be like okay well the, you know the, the kids just run off and nearly got hit by a car mm-hmm. the dad coming back and obviously being very emotional about it and then tapping him on the wrist I mean I don't think I personally don't think a tap is a smack like my if I if I was bad when I was little I'd get like a really 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 weak tap on the hand or something and not Mm -hmm. even like a smack like a tap Mm -hmm. I think that's different to a smack where you actually kind of draw your hand back and for it but um, I think that yeah there's got to be some level of proportionality there's got to be some level of kind of discretion as well based on the situation um yeah
2: like it's like with with uh sort of i was the thing that sprang to mind for me was with some drug legislation say you get caught with a joint on you you um you 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 get you know you get it confiscated and the police will say you know you shouldn't do drugs um Mm -hmm. and not that i agree with that but you know it's that it could be a similar sort of thing where you say you know, it's like a maybe, like, you know, a warning, a warning, and then
1: okay, like can you not?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then if it's something that is reoccurring, then you look into that child's mm. well-being and welfare, and it's just ensuring that there's no, you know, malice yeah. behind it or there's. It's it's not just in public; it might just be a tap on the wrist, but behind, you know, closed, behind doors. closed doors, it's yeah, you know, it's just ensuring yeah. the safety of of the child. Mm. I
0: agree. Uh, let's move on to quickfire questions. I was <laughs> I was smiling there, Jack, because my first quickfire question is somewhat related. Uh, it's. There...
2: so just before you <laughs> just before you ask it, I always see you do a little smirk during these bloody podcasts, and it always sets me off. Sorry. <laughs> it's
0: just because I read it while you were talking. That the first question is: Should there be regulations yeah. to becoming a parent?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh God! No. What kind no. of regulation?
2: No, I don't think there should be. <laughs> no. No. <laughs>
0: no i don't think so either um but me and mason were having this conversation earlier and we it made do me a little think bit about of background it. on this yeah yeah, <laughs> I mean,
2: there, yeah. it was we, a sort of hypothetical conversation that was yeah. that was occurring um we were doing some yeah we were doing some work earlier on on some, on some outreach and this was a conversation that arose um yeah um, but there are plenty of people you know like who it's do not think... something that's never happened and things like the uh, one one-child policy in in China. You can see how awful that was, and lots yeah. of authoritarian regimes have put um, in place restrictions on on who can have have yeah. children. And it comes back to I think the the free school meal debate in a lot of ways. It's and Lauren, you touched on this in your article. Uh, don't have a child outside your means, or don't have too many kids if you can't. Don't have a kid if you can't afford it. Um,
0: I think that goes straight back to the. Education argument, like I think mm-hmm. the uh, what if anybody was to suggest to me that there should be restrictions on becoming a parent, I would say there shouldn't be. The state should be ensuring that people are well educated enough and supported enough to have children, yeah. if they want mm-hmm. to or not. I agree. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. My next question is: Should fireworks be illegal?
2: No, but they should. They should be silent.
0: Interesting.
1: Even possible.
2: Yes, it is. Yes.
1: Okay. <sighs> didn't know
0: that. What are because your thoughts, Lauren?
2: Oh, sorry. It, girl. I'm thinking about the, I'm thinking about the dogs. I, I'm always thinking about the dogs.
0: Not just the dogs, Absolutely. but also people with disabilities who are maybe are quite sensitive yeah. to sound and, and yeah, that sort true, of thing. True. True.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm autistic. So, like for me, it's an absolute bloody nightmare. <laughs> I yep.
2: just assumed really? I was okay. weird
1: and didn't like. Fireworks,
2: uh, so, but no, I, I actually have think. autism, so that's why.
0: I mean, even, but it's also even as a kid, I really didn't like fireworks, like because yeah. they're just you know really loud and obnoxious.
2: You can see it though, can't you? You can see it like uh somebody saying, you know, we shouldn't have loud fireworks, but we should have silent fireworks, and then the Daily Mail running a headline: mm. Loony left wants to ban fireworks, or <laughs> <Yeah>. bonfire night <laughs> is cancelled, or something like that, crusade <laughs> against fireworks. You think it's so? If
0: you think about it, fireworks are explosives that we sell to people, to, the, to the general public. Yeah. they're pretty yeah. dangerous. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Sainsbury's
1: banned them, didn't they? Sainsbury's Did stopped they? selling them oh, to really? anyone, which is pretty good. Interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah, the animals I think are a big reason, and also people with <laughs> like PTSD, yeah. people
0: yeah. that yes, are like, That's, true. Yeah. that's yeah. very true. Yeah. But yeah, I'm always like I've been seeing fireworks constantly for the last like week. For some reason people don't just do it on bonfire night. now they do it for the whole week
2: these yeah these idiots <laughs> that just set fireworks <laughs> off at any possible opportunity yeah you know, but, like ridiculous in the day some people in the day yeah why in the day yeah you, you can't even see them the no so ridiculous i but i Imagine keep
0: speaking Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> I keep.
0: I, we, I live in a really built-up area, and like, there's, there's occasional parks around. But I know I've seen fireworks going off, like, sort of just down the road, and that's those are big, like, three, four-story buildings, and people must be setting them off in their back garden. That is so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. they could hit the building or, or go. I've, you know, it's I've crazy. I've been
2: at firework nights at people's houses where something's gone wrong and picked up really? gone in the house, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes. oh, wow. really common.
0: <laughs> I did a Fourth of July celebration at camp back in America a few years ago, and I was like alighting the fireworks, and we were, you know, safety measures. <laughs> that we weren't. Well, was I can a... imagine
2: you like being <laughs> really sure that the safety measures were being applied. <laughs> I feel
0: like I wasn't though. I didn't have any protection on or anything, but it was America, so you know, they their, their yeah. health and safety. I can't is a imagine bit you like
2: running down the. Uh, down the path with, like, an American flag on the 4th of July and just, like, laying fireworks off out of your hat. No, it was in a field.
0: We had them all laid out and I just lit them. But I had to run between them so they seemed coherent enough. It wasn't just every now and then. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Which are worse? Pigeons
2: or seagulls? Seagulls.
1: Yeah. Seagulls.
2: Yeah.
1: I lived in Devon for, like, two, three years, so Mm. I'm going to say seagulls.
2: Yeah.
0: I feel like if you've the lived worst, by the seaside, then...
2: Yeah. yeah. I feel like the worst a pigeon is going to do is poo on you. Mm. But a seagull can poo on you, and it's also going to attack you.
0: True. But pigeons are I, always I, walking right in front of you and really erratic in their movement. And
2: That is true. But that's I've had two really traumatic seagull experiences. <laughs> the first was when I was a kid. I was probably about three or four. And I think I was in chroma and uh my dad was eating a ham sandwich and it came down and took the ham sandwich out of my dad's hand and took a chunk out of his finger (laughs) right i'm not not, i kid you not it literally took a chunk out of his finger right and then i was in brighton i think last year with uh my girlfriend and we got fish and chips We had a lovely day (laughs) we got some fish and chips we literally walked we must have been about five paces away from the fish and chip stand um on Brighton Seafront and the seagull swooped down and took the entire fish out of her Jesus. Out of her uh, Piera. Yeah, Piera. it was. It was in it in was a it, in the
1: open. Yeah. Nah. She's
2: she's from the forest of Dean though, so she's not like <laughs> not experienced around the beach enough. There's no seagulls there, yeah. So
1: no bloody noisy as well, seagulls. That's
2: like people yes, yeah. yeah. the
1: shit on you. It's quiet.
0: You say no. that At least. You say that yeah. but I've got pigeons living in our roof here and they are really fucking annoying. <laughs> they're <laughs> constantly cooing and making a really, really? like rumbly noise and it's pretty annoying. Uh-huh. But then in Portsmouth when we went to uni there we had seagulls constantly on the roof there making yeah. loud and they're really aggressive as well. Sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 The... Uh-huh.
1: Oh, I am too. I've literally just graduated. Really? I've been really? there for undergrad and postgrad. Yeah.
2: Did did everyone go to Portsmouth? <laughs> <Things are>. Everybody <laughs> we get on the podcast, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> Our Portsmouth gang love it. That's crazy. Yeah.
2: Wicked. It's such um, a small world.
0: It is, yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> my next question is: um, cream or custard? Cream. Cream.
2: cream. Although like... I'm trying my best to be a vegan, so. Uh, neither. yeah, that's, that's a fair but point. The
1: cream. texture of cream. custard is wrong. Like you think? Oh. I
2: like custard. I don't like custard, but cream's better. No, I I'm think, I prefer, unless, unless it's like.
1: Really bougie custard, custard with like the
2: um, oh, vanilla yeah. pods in it.
1: Only the bougie stuff, yeah. though. I'm a proper Tory when it comes to custard. That's where I draw the line, though.
2: <laughs> I oh, there's nothing Tory about liking nice custard. Yeah. Huh? I'd, I'd say custard, personally,
0: I think. I'm not a really? huge fan of the, the cream, no, really.
2: Um What's more French? Probably cream. I don't think custard is a yeah. thing, really, in France. So is that like you reveling against your yeah. French upbringing? Yeah. Maybe,
0: yeah. Uh, my last question is a question that me and Jack did a, an episode the other week but it was just the two of us and and um it's really outdated it hasn't outdated. been uploaded it hasn't been updated uploaded because it was really outdated by the time we got around to it the question is Lauren do you know how cranes are built have you ever seen a crane no. being built
1: would it be built by another crane
2: it's a good guess. It's a good it effort. A good but then how was the, the first crane built exactly? Oh, we I mean, genuinely didn't really bother me now. Exactly, yeah. we genuinely didn't know. Do you want to know? Do you want to know, or should we let you go away and research it yourself, and we'll let everybody that watches go away and have to research it themselves, <laughs> yeah. and it will just be a, a mystery forever? Yeah, let's not tell anyone, Brett. No. It'll be our little secret. We should I'm actually be YouTube it. Yeah, yeah do, it's did. amazing.
0: It is really, yeah, it's impressive. We should, we should put a video really of it up right now. Okay, we'll get, yeah, we'll get games to put
2: a video of it Yeah, we'll get, get to put the video.
0: But up. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, they kind of like build themselves. It's weird. Mm. Um, mm. but yeah.
2: But thank you for joining mm. us, Lauren. One, one of last <laughs> many great mysteries. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. Thank we're, you. We're always tackling the key issues here, Lauren. Key issues. We,
0: are, yeah. we
2: are. <laughs> How are cranes built? Yeah, and thank
0: you st- Pigeons or seagulls? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much
2: for joining us. It's been, yeah. it, mate. It's been really interesting chatting with you and Thank we you. hope you come on again. And you'll have Definitely. to have us on your podcast yes. as well when you resume. Yes. Did you, Absolutely. Wanna, did you, you want to plug it. anything, Lauren?
1: Uh, yeah. So one thing in particular, Labour Doorstep. So it's a newly set up kind of grassroots activist group. We try and be like a platform for CLPs and activists to kind of share their ideas campaign tips and we also do like a lot of topical stuff so we've just done some book recommendations for Black History Month. We had like Alex Sobel, Rosina Alan Khan, um Dawn Butler. They all provided their recommendations. And we're looking at doing stuff on like climate change, um, transphobia and other things like that in the future. So yeah, really, Amazing. really excited oh. to get that going.
2: <laughs> well thanks very much Great. for joining us again. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I've really enjoyed it.
2: Take care. Cheers for watching, everyone.